I want to invite you all uh, to stand up and we'll pray. Holy God, we come before you tonight and I ask God for, for your presence here. And I ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will work and, Lord, you will do, will, you will do your work in the hearts of people and, and you'll give me courage and you'll give me boldness and strength to preach your word, God, because without you, it is all, it is all hopeless, it is all useless. And we can say all that we want, but without you, God, and without your work, we are nothing. And I ask God for your help in this. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, so not all, not all of you may know who I am. Um, my name is Slavik, and I challenge any one of you to come up to me and tell me if you have a more Slavic Ukrainian name than I do. My last name is Salo, so I challenge you. Um, I lead uh, one of the connect groups. Uh, we call them connect groups. They're Bible studies, basically. We're going through the book of Luke currently. We're in the last chapter of the book of Luke. I lead with, um, if you know Max Popshinsky, he's another leader. We gather up in Kent. Uh, we have also three more connect groups. One is in Maple Valley. We have one in Auburn. And we also have one in, in Federal Way. And also we have a, a Ukrainian group that meets on Mondays. So the other four groups, they meet on Tuesdays at 7.30. If you need more information, just ask anybody from our youth and we'll let you uh, know where, where to go. So I invite you all to come. As, as Carolina was talking about girls' Bible study, it's a huge blessing. So girls, go, go to that. It's very helpful. And for everybody else, and girls, guys, everybody, connect groups are a massive blessing um, in which I personally see the majority of growth. Um, for me, as a leader of that group, a lot of growth as I study scripture and for people around when I see the people of God they're diving into the word they're interested in what it's saying they're interested what impact it has in their life it is very encouraging to see and it's a massive massive huge blessing um, so what what we've been going through uh, in our youth is through the book of James we're in the last chapter of James and we're almost finished uh, with the book of James and the, the passage I want us I want to offer to you guys for all of our consideration is James chapter uh, 5. So go to the book of James uh, chapter 5, and we're going to read from verses 13 through, the, through verse 16. So James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And it says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working." It will be useful for us to remember the context of the book of James and to whom James is writing. So James primarily, if you go to the very beginning uh, in James chapter 1, verse 1, James says, James, a servant of the Lord. So James identifies himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in dispersion. So he is writing to the 12 tribes uh, of, of the Jews who are spread out throughout the Roman Empire and throughout, throughout the whole place, and he's writing to them in dispersion, uh, meaning that you know, there is something happening to them. They're scattered. There is persecution. Um, 
there's all, all, so, all so, sorts of suffering and all sorts of problems that these people in dispersion have to deal with. And James deals with very practical issues in the life of a Christian person. As we know, these Jews were Christians. As James identifies himself as a servant of the Lord, writing to his brothers. And James deals right away from chapter 1 with very practical stuff. Faith, uh, being doers of the word, not just hearers. Being impartial in your judgments. He deals with wisdom and, and other pertinent topics in a Christian life. And here we reach another very, very important passage that James doesn't really touch upon until chapter 5. In a sense, it's very fitting because it is one of the pinnacle topics that a Christian needs to, needs to deal with, and a Christian person cannot live without this in their life. So here James reaches the topic of prayer. And it's a very obvious prayer in this passage. As we see in chapter, uh, verse 13, 14, 15, 16, prayer is mentioned in every single verse, verse at least once. This is the obvious um, topic of this, this section. Before it is about anything else, the section is primarily about prayer. And without prayer, a Christian person cannot have a Christian life. A Christian will die without prayer. And what we will do tonight is we will look at each verse individually and how prayer affects a Christian and how prayer is pertinent in, in their daily life. So the first thing I want us to, to look at is right away chapter, uh, verse 13, sorry. And it says this, is anyone, if anyone is suffering, let him what? Let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him what? Let him sing praise. So I want us to notice right away, right? Our life consists of these two extremes. There is the suffering on one side, and there is the cheerfulness on the other, and everything in between. That We go through our life between these two, two extremes. Sometimes we are very cheerful, we are happy. You know, our, our spirit is like elevated, it's awesome. Life is going great, it's just the best. You know, and other times you like slowly start drifting over to the suffering, and it's dreadful, it's dreary, and it sucks. And sometimes you're in, in between, you know? And it can happen that you go from this extreme to that extreme very fast, like this, right? In a, in a matter of just seconds. But I want us to note something important. If you are suffering, you pray. If you're cheerful, you sing praise. Your life, right, has these situations, and they have proper responses to them. It would be very, very strange right? Let's say if, if a guy, right, he meets a wonderful girl, he's very into her, they're engaged, they're about to get married, it's like, it's awesome, it, he's supposed to be joyful, right? And you just see the guy like, see him walking around all nervous, he's like stressed out, there's no smile on the face, like, does he even like this girl? Like, seems like he's more scared of her than anything else, like, I don't know about this. It's a very strange behavior, right? It is very, very strange. And the proper response that we see in suffering is prayer. And why, why, why is that? Why, why, why is prayer and suffering, and suffering so connected? Are we just supposed to pray when we suffer? Like, is that, is that the only time we pray? Like, if you're suffering, then you pray, James says, right? It, not, no, not, this, is not, this is not what we see in the scripture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Verses 16 through 18. If you have your Bible, uh, please open it and we'll read together. 
So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, it says this. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. In every situation, you are praying. But what I, what I see here, what, what, I, what I see here in, in, in James, right? In, in, in James, that James point, points out a specific time when we pray. And that specific time is in suffering. And I want us to shift our mind a little bit and to look at prayer as a resource. It is a tool. It is a tool and a very powerful tool at that as we see at the end of verse 16, uh, at the end of verse 16 that it says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. It's a tool that produces a result and it works. And you know, um, I will be the first, I'll be the first to admit that oftentimes I forget. I forget about this prayer. I forget to pray until you know what point? Until they're suffering. Until they're suffering. And I do believe that God uses difficult situations in our life to turn our mind around and refocus us on him. I'm not saying that a person who is suffering necessarily is a, uh, is a person who has forgotten God. I'm not saying this at all. What I am saying is the person, God can use suffering in your life to bring your focus back, uh, back to himself. Sometimes, um, I, I don't know if it's true for you, but it is, it is very, it's definitely true for me that when things are going well, it is easy to drop in your prayer life. It is very easy. And sometimes it's necessary to re- receive a stabilizing shock, right? When you get a, like a defibrillator, defibrillator. Wow, that is a tough word. Um, and you know, your heart rate is all out of whack. It's like, what is happening? Bam, you give, you give it a shock. And you know, heart rate stabilizes and a person can live again. And I think that this is like this in a Christian life. The, the intent of suffering is to refocus. Refocus your life, refocus your vision from whatever is happening, even in that suffering, and focus you on God and show you your dependence on, on him. And you know, a question to you, to what degree do we need to suffer until we pray? Like, do you need to suffer like 10%? Do you need to suffer, I don't know, you fail a test, you know, like little suffering. Or you're very stressed out, you're not going to pass your test, you know, suffering. Um, you got to get in a car accident. You get in a really bad car accident. The airbags pop. The car gets crumpled, right? You lose a limb. Like, to what degree do you need to suffer until you pray? And to, to me, the answer is to the, to the degree of your pride. You know, how big is your pride? That's how much you need to suffer until the point where God, God breaks that pride and shows you, listen, you depend on me. You don't, you don't depend on yourself. You don't depend on your strength. You depend on me. You depend on God. And God will show, show us this in, in our life. Again, I am not saying that a person who is suffering is a prideful, wretched human, right? As a matter of fact, that's often like different. It's often the exact opposite. You see people who are suffering, their trust is all in God. Like you see people who are sick with cancer and what do they say? It's just like, yeah, I trust my Lord, I will go to heaven. It's like, wow, okay, that, that's interesting. And you know, God, God uses these, these sufferings to accomplish his purposes. 
You know, it's easy to stand here and say this, right? It's like, don't have to go through suffering right now. It's not bad. It's very easy to say this, but is it reality in your and my life when it happens? Is your first, is, is your first um, response to go to prayer? Or do we first think, if we're being honest, do we first think, okay, something happened. All right, I can do this, that, this, and that. All right, got a plan. Solid. Let's, let's do this. You know, sometimes plans work, sometimes the plans fail. Sometimes the plans fail and we exhaust, we exhaust all our resources that we have until we come to the point of breaking and then we go to prayer as a last resort. I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Listen to this. I'll read from uh, verse 6, actually. It says this, Humble therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. God is one who cares for you. This is a care that more deeper than even on today on Mother's Day, that your mom can care for you. And if you have a loving mother, she cares for you very deeply. Even when you wrong her all the time, she still cares for you. God cares for you. The creator of the universe loves you and he cares for you. And he tells you, cast your anxieties on him. And suffering produces that effect in a Christian life. It turns your vision to God and shows your dependence on, on him. He is the one, he's the one who cares. So don't wait until, you know, until your suffering is just crushing you and you can't handle it anymore and you're just crushed. And then you go to prayer. Don't wait until that point. Why? Do you have something to prove to somebody? If anything, if that is true, it's just your pride. Instead, just forget that. Go to God. Go to God in prayer. And the second, second response we see, cheerful. If you are cheerful, you are to do what? You are to sing praise. Uh, the literal translation for cheerful is of good disposition. So if you have joy, if you, ha if you have something to be happy about, what is the response? The response is sing praises. We read this all throughout the Bible, all throughout. In the Psalms, you practically open any random Psalm, and you will probably find, I will sing to the Lord. Uh, just a couple passages I'll, I'll offer for your consideration is 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 50. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praises to your name. Psalm 1849. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praises to your name. Psalm 6930. I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving. And you know, David, David was a, a giant of this. You know, in one hand he held a sword, in the other he, ha he held an ar a harp. Which with which he praised God for all the victories that he had. Doesn't this seem like a strange command? Like, this is weird, I think, right? Because it seems like it's a natural response. You are cheerful, you sing praises, right? Isn't this like a natural thing to express your joy and your cheerfulness and your thanks? Isn't this a natural response? Like, why, why does James need to say this and give us, give us this commandment? But is it true? Is it actually true that this is how we respond with praise and thanksgiving? If you look back on your life, 
what actually happens when things are going great for you? Is it not true that we more often than not take, take things for granted? Is it not true that we, that we often even forget to thank God for the blessings that we have? Not to even talk about singing? Forget singing praises. We don't even thank God. You know, we, think, we take things for granted and it's how things are supposed to be. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, uh, yesterday we were preparing for, for Mother's Day. A uh, whole, whole family uh, was coming over, which Serge skipped. He wasn't there. <laughs> um, but uh, yesterday, my mom, right, she drives over from Costco. She comes over from Costco and she says, hey, come on, help me get the groceries out, right? And like there's, you know, you know how in Costco you buy a whole bunch of stuff and there's those boxes you have to carry. And it's like, I take it out and there's like orange juice and there's like other juices and then there's like meat, uh, oranges, like a whole bunch of random foods, right? And I'm like carrying this to the house. I'm like, man, if you take like a, I don't know, let, let's take like a Viking sell, settler from the, like, I don't know, whatever, the, whenever the Vikings lived, right? And you show him all the stuff, like, dude, you're a king. Like, man, you are, you are a king. You must have so many riches. You must, you must have a whole kingdom. Where is all, is there like a great feast happening? It's like, no, mom just brought food from Costco, man. It's like, what, what is Costco? Like, I want to go there. And you take that guy to Costco, his mind's going to blow. It's insane. For us, this is how it's supposed to be. I go to Costco and I find the thing that I need. I take it and I go home, right? When you come into your house, you flip a switch, light comes on. That's how it's supposed to be. You know, electricity goes out, you flip that switch and it doesn't work. You're like, what? How? It doesn't work. There's no electricity. It's not how it's supposed to be. This is not, this is not how people lived for a very long time, right? They didn't have this luxury. They didn't, they didn't have this luxury. We have so much abundance in life that we often just take it for granted and we think this is how it's supposed to be. We forget, we forget that the blessings come from the Lord and James, James intends to remind us of this. If you're cheerful, sing praises, sing praises to God because that's where your blessing comes from. And Moses, Moses was doing the same thing to Israel. He was exhorting them in the same way. Actually, if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll look at verses 10 through 12. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Now listen to what Moses says. At the, at the end, right? At the end, everything almost done. Israel is about to enter into the promised land. And listen to Moses. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then take care lest you forget. This is, this is very human. This is our nature. We forget. And often we forget the good stuff. Did you, did you grow the food that you buy? Did not. Did you build the house that you live in? A lot of us don't. Very, very, very pertinent passage. Do not forget. And James, James reminds us. 
So if you are cheerful, if you have something to be happy about, sing praises. Sing praises to God and glorify his name because that's where your blessing comes from. Now, if we look at verse 14, um, had a lot of problems with this verse, and uh, it's an understatement to say that this verse is extremely controversial, uh, verse 14. And I don't claim to be any kind of expert on the Greek or uh, on the Greek language. I don't have any authority on that. Didn't go to school for that. And you know, there's different interpretations of this verse based on that. Suffice it to say that there, there are multiple views on, on this verse from multiple credible sources. Some say that verse 14, uh, let, us, let us actually read it before we go into all of that. Uh, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So, some, some say that this is talking about purely spiritual matters. Um, they have good, good, good evidence to show this. As sick, as sick would mean uh, weak, and it's talking about a person who has spiritually fallen. Others are talking, uh, saying that this is a physical thing. You know, you call, you become really sick, you call elders of the church, and they pray over you, anointing oil over you. Catholics take this to the very extreme, where they use this verse to pray over uh, people who have died. Um, that part is really difficult to do because I don't know where they get that from because it's not talking about de death here at all. It's talking about sickness, either physical or spiritual, take your pick, but it's not talking about death. Um, so regardless if it's physical or if it's spiritual, what I want to turn our attention to and highlight for us is that the elders of a church have a specific function and a purpose. That reason isn't just to tell us awesome stories when they come and visit us in youth once in a while, right? They're like, man, they live some crazy stuff. And it's pretty funny, you know, sometimes the Dequesta comes over, tells a story how they're like almost kidnapping a dude, like, okay, it's some interesting stuff. But it's not, it's not the primary function of a pastor or, or an elder. It's not even giving you good advice when you come to them and you say like, man, I'm in this problem, I have all these issues, right? What is the function of an elder primarily? Here we see is to pray for you. Here we see is to pray for you. And look at, look at Acts chapter 6, verses 3 through, through 4. Uh, when, the apostle had some, when the apostles had some problems, you know, church is growing, and the widows in the church were being abandoned, right? And as we know, being a widow in Israel back in those days, you can't really provide for yourself because uh, a woman would not have the ability to find much work in, in things, so it was difficult. So a widow would have a difficult time. And so people come to the apostles and they're complaining, right? And so look at what, what the apostles answer. Uh, we'll read from verse 3. Acts chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. Therefore, brothers, pick out from you among, uh, among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They will devote themselves to prayer and ministry of the word. The elders of a church have a primary function when you come to them, and that is to pray with you and for you. When you're suffering, when you're sick, uh, you know, when you're sick, when you're weak, in your spiritual walk, when you're physically weak, something is, something is troubling you, there are elders who you can turn to 
and you can speak with, and they will pray with you. And, and they, they will pray with you. This is how God designed his church to function. For the spiritual is stronger to uplift a person who is down. This is the God's design for his body, his church. And so let, let me ask you a question, you know. Let me ask you a question, give you a scenario. You know, you run into a really difficult situation in your life. Uh, you talked with parents, you talked with, uh, I don't know, your brothers, your sisters, your friends. And there's no answer. No, nobody can provide you with the reasonable answer upon which you can act on, right? It's like, fine, I will go to the elders. You go to the elders, right? And what would you want the elder to do? You know, for me, I would say, hey, give me some advice so I can take some action and I can go and have something tangible to do, right? Or would you want the elder to say, okay, I, 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 I'm not really sure myself, but I can offer you one thing. Let me get on my knees with you and we will pray and I will intercede for you before God. One is like very short term, right? One is very short term where they give you advice and you're like, okay, I'll go and act on this thing. But the other one is long term, long term and far, far more useful and far more powerful. But we forget this, the power of this tool, the power of this resource of prayer, why? Because oftentimes we forget to who we pray. You pray to God who created this whole place, who's in control of your life, who's in control of every little thing. You pray to that God. And so it would be far more useful in that situation for you to say, hey, pastor, I, I don't know, maybe, perhaps you don't know what to do, but can you pray with me? Just pray with me before God. And so, um, you know, as, as we continue in, in, our, in our passage, uh, if, if you look at um, verse 15, uh, last part, and it says, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So James, in, in, his, uh, in his letter, allows for a possibility that, that sickness, whatever physical or spiritual, emotional, or psychological, could be a result of sin. However, he's not saying that it's necessarily a result of sin, but he is allowing for that possibility. So re remember, remember with me the story of a blind man from John chapter 9, uh, ver verse 1. So John chapter 9, verse 1. We meet a blind man, right? And it says this. As he passed by, Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And the disciples, so these are the people that are following him, right? The, the ones that are close to him. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow. The guy was sick, no, not a result of anyone sinning, but it was so that the glory of God could work, could work through him. So it is very important for us to understand, right, that we shouldn't be like very cruel to people who are sick or who have some, some kind of disability or disease, right? It is not, you have no right to say to that person that you have done something in your life that is why God has punished you. This was the mentality of the Pharisees and here this was the mentality of the disciples. Bible does not give us that right to say that. Bible does not give us the right to be that cruel. However, it is a possibility that a person that 
like some punishment or some disease or some problem in a person's life is a result of, of sin. It, it is a possibility. And so, you know, as, as we look at our, our last verse, I wanted to turn our attention to 16. And I want, I want us to pay special attention to this verse. I want us to really, really look, look into this verse and bring it to our mind because it has such effect. It has so much use and so much power. Let's read verse 16. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Therefore, therefore, so James is drawing a conclusion from the past, uh, from the past verses. He says, you know, if you're suffering, if you're cheerful, if you have sickness, you call the brothers. And so a conclusion from all of this is, if you have problems, if you have suffering, if you have sin, therefore, confess your sins with one another. I want you to, I want you to um, perhaps give you an analogy of what sin is and how, how it functions, right? It's if, if you think of sin as just this like small little creature, right? It's fluffy. It looks kind of interesting, kind of cute. It's nice. You can take it. You can pet it, right? You can pet it. You can put it in your pocket, hide it away, and you take it with you, and you walk away, right? And what sin really wants is to have you alone. It wants to have you privately, right? So you can fully enjoy it. Like, why would I want to be with, like, Yasha or somebody else, right? I want to have my sin. I want to grow it. And I want to nourish it. And this creature starts growing, right? It starts growing. And you don't see it, but its intent, it's like a parasite. Its intent is to destroy you. Its intent is to destroy your life. Its intent is to take over your life, take over you, destroy your relationships, destroy your life, and destroy everything that is good in you or about you. And you take this creature and you put it in your pocket and it grows and it grows and it grows. And it starts growing through like massive proportions. And it's no longer very cute anymore, right? Perhaps now you're starting to realize that this monstrosity is eating away at you, is destroying you. But you keep feeding it. And you have no choice. You have no longer, you don't have any choice. It has full control over you. It has bound you. And it, its intent, it, it looks like it, it has success. It is going to destroy you. It will destroy you. It will destroy your life. And at that point, maybe finally you realize, I want to get rid of this thing. Don't want it anymore. It's not very cute anymore. It's causing me a lot of problems. I still want to hide it, though. I still want to hide it, so I don't want to have fellowship with my brothers and sisters anymore because it's not so easy. It's not so easy to hide this thing anymore, whatever it could be. And at that point, in that point, you need help. What you need is help. You need another believer who can share that burden with you and help you get rid of this thing. If you go from private, where it's destroying you, it's eating you away, and you bring another person in there, now you can fight. Now, now you can fight, and God uses means, like Serge was talking about, of, of Christian believers, God uses means to give freedom, to give freedom from, 
from whatever the sin may be. So don't, don't, let, don't, don't let the sin grab you privately and grab you alone and just enjoy it, pet it, and just have, have fun with it because it's a deception. It's a very serious deception and the intent is your death and not just your death in here, but your eternal, your eternal death. And what you need is what, what you need is you need help. Talk to another believer. Talk to somebody you trust. And you know, sin will tell you a lie. It will tell you like, I can't trust that person. That person will share my stuff with other people. I can't have them know this. This is like leverage over me now. And problem is sometimes that is true. Sometimes that is true. And people sometimes will reveal your sins to other people. So Christian, if a person comes to you and they trust you and they reveal something to you, it is your duty and your such a privilege to share a burden with another believer and help them go through this path. Sometimes, you know, different situations, they have different, they call for different actions. But the default is you take on that burden and you share it with person and you help them carry that burden. And this is one of the biggest means that God uses to give us strength to fight against sin. So if you're in a battle against sin and it seems very hopeless to you, you're tired and it seems like you're not getting out. You're not getting out. This monstrosity is eating you, eating you away. It's not letting you serve in church. It's not letting you have normal uh, fellowship with brothers and sisters. You're tired of hiding and it seems like there's no hope. Go to another believer. Go to another believer and share your burden with them. And oftentimes you might even find that they have, they have the same struggle and they know exactly what to do. And they will provide help for you. And they will keep you accountable and they will share that burden with you. And all of a sudden that load is not so difficult to bear. It's not so difficult to bear any longer. And God will give victory. So stand on these promises. Right? James is dealing with very practical issues. And Bible gives you, gives you a promise. It, it gives you a promise. It will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your sins to one another and pray for another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It has great power as, as it is working. You have a tool. You have a resource. You have a powerful useful tool and resource don't exhaust yourself don't exhaust don't exhaust your energies pray first have that as a default in your life to pray first and i'm also understand this i'm speaking to myself first many times i fall into this trap something happens in life and you start thinking how can i solve this how will i solve this situation and sometimes God shows you, you can't, you cannot, you're stuck. And you pray to God and he miraculously answers and you're like, wow. And all you can do is you go to God and you just repent and you say, God, I'm sorry that I have not trusted you in, in this or that thing. But wouldn't it just be better if you didn't have to go through all of that and you just prayed before and you trusted God in your life? For me, oftentimes, I ask myself this one question. How many times does God have to teach me the same lesson? 
Like once, twice, three times, four times, five times. How many times? When will it be enough for you, Slavic, to understand that you need to trust in God in your life? When is it going to be enough? And you have to learn the same bitter lesson multiple times over and over. So what James, what James is saying, you know, learn, learn the lesson and go to God in prayer. Go to God in prayer when you're suffering and sing him praises, praises when, you're, when you're cheerful. When you're cheerful, sing praises. So Christian, employ your tool, employ it every day in your life. And uh, may, may God's name be glorified in all our life and everything we do. And with that, we'll pray.